This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. You're listening to a section of the LibriVox NaNoWriMo project in which a number of LibriVox volunteers write and record a whole novel together in serial form during November 2006. The project is based on the idea started by the National Novel Writing Month. Chapter 7, written by Hugh McGuire. The gun was silver, and it looked heavy in Fulvia's hand. Or rather, it looked massive in her slim hand, and she held it with a careless ease that indicated Trevor wasn't the first person she'd ever threatened with a gun. But there was something Fulvia didn't know. This wasn't the first time Trevor had been threatened with a gun, either, though he did his best to hide that fact. In fact, as he smiled inwardly to himself while doing his best to affect a look of terror and confusion, Fulvia had just revealed several bits of crucial information to him. Trevor wasn't sure how valuable these bits of information would be, but then, in his business, the information you have is only slightly more important than the information you know your enemies don't have. But the best kind of information is false information you know your enemies do have. First, Fulvia didn't know who Trevor really was. Otherwise, she would have known he wasn't stupid enough to carry the manuscript around with him. She thought he was caught in something he didn't understand, was a mere messenger, a carrier of important documents beyond his comprehension. And true, he didn't understand yet what he was caught up in exactly. But he was certain he knew more than Fulvia. Probably more than anyone in the world except TM, and maybe U3 at Global. In his experience, people like Fulvia got their orders from someone higher up, and they executed. But it was in no one's interest for them to know the bigger picture. Whereas Trevor didn't work for anyone except himself. And his business was figuring things out. Information processing, contexts, nodes on the net. It was all about contexts. Finding needles in haystacks is easier when you know where to look, and he was among the best lookers. If he played this right, this would be the sort of information he could retire on, which is why he was in Malta, why he was on this boat. Fulvia wanted something from him, but he wanted something from her too. Once he figured out where to look, he would have everything he needed. He'd just have to make sure he could get there first before Global got there or the agency for that matter, or the order even. Timing was everything. Fulvia wanted the manuscript to decode the message TM and his agents from the order had hidden in LibriVox audio files. Somewhere in those thousands of audio files, audio versions of public domain text, there were errors. And as with animals, some errors were more equal than others. Some of those errors were there for a purpose planted by the agents of the order. Others were legitimate. Still others were noise, as it were, false errors planted by Global and others. LibriVox, like Wikipedia, was seething with intelligence agents of all stripes. The Cold War had never disappeared. The players had changed their uniforms, some had changed sides. And the chessboard was a little different now. It all happened online and corporations were as important as nation-states. Independent agencies and ragtag groups could compete with national intelligence services. 
if they had the right information. What it was didn't matter as long as it was valuable. And the information Trevor was trying to get at was, if his chinchilla sense was right, about as valuable as information got. And Trevor was in the middle of it. If he could find the right errors and put them together in the right order, he would have what he was looking for. He had most of it figured out already, using the audio files from the mystery read by Grayson he had his first start. And he had seen the manuscript. But he needed a little more. Why don't you sit down while you think about where that manuscript is, Fulvia said. She motioned him into the cabin and he sat on a little bench with a working table between them. She sat across the table from him. Have you ever been shot, she asked. She smiled at him, caressed her gun. No, he said, it was true. He'd never been shot and he didn't intend to change that today. I have, she said. She inserted a finger under her collar, stretched her neck. It was a long, beautiful neck adorned by a particularly charming ear. She pulled gently at the collar of her shirt to reveal her clavicle. An ugly-looking scar, the shape of a scythe, sat at the halfway mark. Give me your hand, she said. He did as he was told, and she took his fingers and pressed them into her collarbone, by her neck, and then pulled the fingers along the bone, halfway to her shoulder joint. At that scar, the bone stopped, stepped down, and then continued along. It was just a nick, she said, but it broke the bone in two. The nearest surgeon was in Ulaanbaatar, 600 kilometers away. They probably would have just let it heal like that anyway. They only bother operating when the bone is totally shattered. I was lucky. But it works now, even if it looks ugly. She made a big circle with her arm to show how well her clavicle worked, staring at him as she did so, her green eyes displaying a look of great amusement. I can tell you, though, she said, if someone had got to me then, which they didn't, but if they had, and they'd threatened to just touch that broken bone, I would have told them anything. When you break a bone like that, you realize pretty quickly why torture is so popular. All your dreams of honorable stoicism dry up pretty quickly when you start whimpering. Trevor was watching her eyes, so he was a little surprised when the barrel of the gun touched his cheek and then made its way slowly down his neck. The metal was cold. He shivered. Her other hand cupped him behind the neck, and he felt her strong fingers massaging the muscles at the top of his spine. He closed his eyes. She was good, he thought to himself, better than he'd given her credit for. He winced as she pressed the tip of the barrel into his collarbone and twisted. Right there, for instance, she said. The pain in his collarbone made a curious contrast with the soothing feel of her strong fingers massaging his neck. Right there is where the bullet caught me. She pushed harder, digging the barrel in, breaking the skin. Trevor pulled back and was annoyed by the elf of pain that escaped his lips. Oh, she said, oh, I'm sorry. I get carried away sometimes. She let go of Trevor's neck and settled into her chair and then did something unexpected. 
she placed the gun on the table between them, flat, with the barrel pointing not at Trevor, but at the open door. She tapped the gun twice and then leaned back. The gun sat there, between them. Safety latch, he noted, removed. Maybe you'd like to reach for the gun, she asked, mirroring his thoughts. She smiled at him, as if to say, try it. Very smooth, he thought. Perhaps he had underestimated this one. He did a quick calculation and decided not to reach for the gun. Gunplay and torture techniques were not among Trevor's greater skills, but information was. She was a global agent. That was all the information he needed to know. And Trevor knew. He knew that Ms. Rossi had gotten him wrong. As assured as this performance was, she would have gone about it differently if she knew that Trevor was more than just a carrier of the manuscript, more than just a computer programmer, more than just a LibriVox volunteer, more than a dupe. So he thought, anyway. And that meant that Global and U3 had gotten him wrong, which gave him great margin to maneuver. It gave him time. It gave him the advantage. Still, Fulvia Rossi had done a nice job of asserting herself here. He realized he was sweating profusely, and that wasn't pretend sweat. That was real fear under his sternum. She smiled, gently licked her lips. So, she said, where is the manuscript? I don't have it here, he said. He realized with some shock that Fulvia Rossi's nipples were erect and pointing right at him. Her cheeks were flushed. She liked this interesting. More information. The gun sat there between them, menacing. As absurd as it was, as incredible, he realized that this throbbing heart and that twisted feeling in his stomach was more than just fear. He liked this too, sort of. Fulvia reached a hand forward and inched the gun towards him. Come on, she said, it's right there. Wouldn't you like to be in charge? change the course of this conversation? Hmm? No? She stood up and turned her back to him, to the gun. He stared incredulously at her back, her long hair. Where is the manuscript? Without really thinking about it, he reached forward slowly, his eyes on the back of her head. What was she playing at here? It is loaded, she said. His hand stopped in midair as he realized what he was doing. Don't worry about that. I wouldn't dangle an unloaded gun at you. That would be dishonest, unfair, no fun. Where is the manuscript? Aware of what he was doing now, but sure he was making a fatal mistake, he gently touched the tips of his fingers to the handle of the gun. He was trembling. He grasped it in his hand, but before he could lift it, he felt a stunning shock in his hand. The gun clattered on the ground, and he wasn't quite sure why. One beat, a second, and then the pain hit, 
and he wrenched his wounded hand into his chest, bit straight through his lip. Fulvia had turned around, and she faced him now, smiling. She held a long metal bar, like an old radio antenna, but heavy, with a brass ball at the end of it. She had struck him right in the hand. Where she had produced that bar from, he couldn't imagine. I didn't break anything, she said, yet. That was just a little tap. But there are many nerves in the hand. Very sensitive. Indeed. The hand throbbed, searing. Trevor had tears coming down his face, and he did his best not to whimper, clenched his jaw. Idiot, he thought. You deserve that. I don't have the manuscript, he said. The rod came sailing down and hit him on the collarbone. He screamed. I sent it away, he said, panting. He thought he might faint. Stupid idiot. This was unnecessary. It's gone. A few pages here, a few pages there, all over the place. Mail. It was true. After he had read the manuscript, he realized what he had in his hands. He separated it into ten sections and sent it to ten friends around the world. God damn it, Fulvia said. Pages ten to thirty-three, she said. Don't waste my time. Where are they? I'm not. She tapped the rod on the crown of his head. Not very hard, but enough that it hurt. He rubbed his head and she hit him in the ear. Again, not hard, but hard enough that it hurt. Do you love your sister Tracy? she asked. He looked up and processed what she had said. She and your niece, Natalie, are staying with some friends of mine. Where are pages 10 to 33? He stared at her, nodded, understanding. Pages 10 to 33 are in Prague, he answered. Fulvia smiled a beaming, excited smile. Her cheeks flushed. Trevor did his best to look defeated, terrified. And with the news that Tracy and Natalie had been dragged into this, some of it was genuine. But there was something else in his mind that he did his best to hide. Victory. Fulvia had just done what he was hoping she would do. Revealed the last bit of information that would help him to decode the message. She had told him where the key portion of the manuscript was. The papers really were in Prague, but in his pocket, in his MP3 player, buried in with a number of other LibriVox files, was the audio version of the manuscript. Before he'd sent it away, he'd scanned the pages, used a text-to-speech conversion, stuck them in his eye river, and ditched the scanned files. He had pages 10 to 33, in audio, in his pocket. Well, Fulvia Rossi said, letting the words roll off her red lips, I guess we're going to Prague. End of chapter 7